You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 180, Joe Satriani, Not of This Earth. And coming to you from the 6-6 suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Crumble Matola. <laughs> okay, you made a you made a crumble? No, I bought I bought cookies from Crumble. What's Crumble? Well, apparently it's this hot place that you got to be. Okay. Um, so, of course, I went. Um, but because there are cookies, I guess it's one of these like um, it's one of these trendy places like um, have you ever heard of like uh, insomnia cookies? No, no. Or like uh, I'm trying to think of other places that have come around. Like, you know, if you hear of a place that's like, you know, I don't know, on like the, the different end of the 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 country that you are and then they finally the franchise oh, yep, works yep. its way to your town and you're like Ooh, one of those <laughs> that's that's this so it's crumble with a c c r u m b l i think you know spelled uh, weird very web 2.0 right right so it's you know and it's a, it's in a strip mall next to like a I don't know, smash burger and some other stuff that we didn't have here in new england and now all of a sudden it's just in you know strip malls you know so you know all of us leptons can just go marching in there like lemmings and being like here give us our things and um so you walk into this place it looks like a friggin apple store it's all white you know oh. um do they, have the, like, this, do they have the cookies like chained to the counter <laughs> <laughs> well they have like um they, you know they have like the uh what do you call the tv screen up with like four friggin cookies like here are the, here are the cookies you can buy i'm like four well so you, then like, you know that they, they're confident that like these are some banging cookies Right. So I went up and I'm like, um, I'll have four. <laughs> so like, okay. Like I, number I, four. I, like I'll mean? get I'll get all four. Oh, like okay. one of each. One of each. And like and I mean, you know, to their credit, they're as big as your head. So um I'm like, all right. And um yeah, I walked away with that little, you know, a big looked at a box, which it looks like I had like, you know, a do- like a dozen roses <laughs> in it. It's this big long box. <laughs> You know, I'm like, how, and, how um, big are these cookies? They're like, well, I mean, they're like the, the box didn't need to be that big, you know, but it's it's made for show. Um, so I had first heard about it from Rich because he lives in that area um, or roundabouts that area. And so the first time I wanted to go, he was just like, eh, I wouldn't go. He goes, there's always a line out the door. So I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll wait till it dies down. So I happened to be in the area and I saw it and I was like, oh, there it is. And there weren't a thousand people there. So I figured, all right, swing in, give it a try. Still, on my way back to my car, I had a feeling I was going to get mugged. So I kept looking over my shoulder because you never know. You had a feeling you're going to get mugged outside of a cookie store? Yeah. I mean, those are some banging cookies. I mean, I think people would people would mug for those cookies. They're muggable cookies. <laughs> I mean, I had like, I had a little little like you know piece of like you know a couple of they had like a iced oatmeal raisin one with like you know fruit loops on it that seems to be 
the thing that everybody's doing. Uh, oh, yeah, you see those Fruit like Loops you see Fruit Loops stuck to donuts and stuff all the time. It's like yeah, a, yeah. Then there was like the classic like iced one, you know, just a sugar cookie with like the big pink icing on it, so mm-hmm. it looked like the Homer Simpson donut. And then there was like one, it was like the French toast. And it had like cinnamon and it had a big plop of like something in the middle, which I feel is is probably like cream cheese or some kind of maple. Mm, like thing. a maple cream um, or something. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to try them after the show. So review next week. Oh, you haven't. Well, you have, are they near you? I well, want to see how big these cookies are. Well, that one. Well, they're in my kitchen. Okay. So, well, maybe during I a mean, break. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you during the break. Yeah. If I'm, if, I, if I'm rambling on about something, you can just like wander off and go get a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be out of frame. And you know, that's when everybody will know, like, I'm I'm getting the cookies. <laughs> well, so uh, what's going on over there? Yeah, everyone's sick. That's. End of my story. Uh, you know, back to school. Everybody's sick. So yeah, we've got. Uh, I'm just getting over it. I was. I basically spent Labor, Labor Day weekend just lying down and feeling lousy. And uh, yeah, now got one kid out of school today. Once my son's over it, my wife and other kid have it, and uh, my daughter is immune. She's just. She is actually on ten from the second I got home. Just just happy and running around and being insane. Um, so it's like, I don't know what's worse than being sick and lethargic and quiet or running around screaming insane, but they're not fighting. So I'll take it. Either way, Nate can't win. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey. But um, anyway, hey, listen, folks, if you want to support the Deep Purple podcast, you can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You get it. Uh, well, the secret is, well, I think we mentioned this in the last episode. I've got a new percussion instrument that I'm going to bust out for the next um, review that we get five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So uh, so look out for that. If you're if you're interested in hearing it, uh, write us a nice review, a nice five-star review. You can buy merch at our Etsy store for, we've got uh, mugs and t-shirts available. And then you can become a patron on Patreon for as little as $1 a month or PayPal. Uh, you can help support the show. Uh, by doing so, you unlock access to our ratings spreadsheet as well as access to our patrons-only Discord where you can get into all sorts of conversation. What is the conversation about right now? Yes, you two can be in the discord or fumble around with the spreadsheet like yours truly <laughs> exactly it's like the yeah, it's like the real experience the uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the john 3d experience yeah, oh yeah, look at me I'm just, I'm pov of john <laughs> during the show <laughs> but yeah right now yeah, just the, open the spreadsheet and just like you know turn your phone sideways and you know I don't know. There's been a robust um, conversation about quiche and Mary Worth today. <laughs> Mary Worth. Yeah, some of that I didn't catch. I did catch that somebody had <laughs> posted a picture of a quiche Lorraine. <laughs> well, Mark, Mark Roback was was sent in a, something about Mary Worth. <laughs> I was uh, like, I have not thought about Mary Worth. And I, our international listeners probably don't know Mary. It's like it was a, what are you, it's just a crappy cartoon from the paper. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was one of those ones as a kid. You're like, yeah, I'm not reading that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, that that one looks like it. Uh, that one looks like I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> Next, <laughs> and it, the the thing is, is, there was nothing to get. It just wasn't funny. Yeah, it was much. one of those ones that maybe like 40 years earlier had been a real knee slapper, but they really lost steam. There's so many of those <laughs> like every comic. They should just end every comic after like a few years. It's like it's hard to keep up that level of uh, of goodness through any comic just gets old. What, what like when you like did you used to like grab the, the like the Sunday paper to read the comics? Oh, yeah, they were all in color what? on Sunday. You had to. Which which one was your favorite? I was a Garfield guy. I liked Garfield. Me too. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if I can remember many others. Some papers would run U.S. Acres, which was Jim Davis's other lesser known. Mm. Um, yeah, I was always like Garfield was my main one. That one, and what was the other one? Family Circus was a. It wasn't funny, circus. but it was like you know. It was always like yeah, it was always a one panel. Uh, one, a one panel, panel, like a one a one liner that had to do with like the the woes of being a parent or something. But I yeah, was like, like eh, nobody well, did there, it. So. Oh, who is this nobody? And it was like this. <laughs> <laughs> nobody did it and nobody wound up being like what this invisible character yeah they created a character of nobody uh-huh. that just went around and like did all the things that the kids said they didn't do I remember that there was uh, what was it it was was it the was it the far side was it the other one? Oh, I loved the far side I have like all the far side books that was great Calvin and Hobbes yeah. that was another good one. Oh yeah yeah yep. but now the far side they replaced it with something else like in mm. the paper there was like some um, don't tell me. Uh, the uh, non sequitur. Right. right. And I remember <laughs> I remember that I hated it so much that I wrote into the newspaper <laughs> to tell them it sucked. <laughs> I'm just like, you think you're funny, but you're not. I was like, <laughs> you all, like brutal. I was like, yeah, maybe if I insult the shit out of them, they'll bring back my favorite comic. I think it's just he stopped making it, right? I don't think it was that yeah. they discontinued it. Yeah, I think, yeah, they were just like, How yeah, old were you when so, you did that? I was like 20. <laughs> That <laughs> was actually last week. Um, <laughs> Get rid of non sequitur, boo. <laughs> well, it was I like probably, it was. There was. I probably was. And Farside like spawned a lot of comics that like tried to capture that same thing, but just exactly. It, yeah, it was one of those. But it, Gary Larson was just a one of a kind. It was very hard to hard to uh, emulate his style. You know, it's just like, look, I'm a wisecracking cow. You know, it's like, no, not you. Only only the other guy can do this. You can't. A wisecracking cow. Oh, it's too good. Right? Um, so. So, yeah. So, so yeah. If you, um, Speaking of our patrons, of course, we have to uh, thank them. Uh, coming in at our executive level uh, at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakvi and Purple Maniac. At the $20 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. At the £10 tier, Dr. Jill Brees. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and Micklesteen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, and Kev Roberts and his wonderful children, Matthew, Gareth, and Sarah. Thank you so much for all of your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. And, uh, you know, sometimes on the show, we have things to do. And one of those things that we uh, obviously love to do and take seriously is uh, when we get anything in the mail. And today we have another Postcards from the Edge of Connecticut. And this one is coming to you. Um, So this one is a, uh, if you can see that. So it's an aerial view of the Erie, the Erie Canal, mm-hmm. uh, the Erie Barge Canal in Lockport Business District, looking east, showing the new municipal building located north. Blah blah blah. Um, and uh, as I know from from the '70s Weekly Countdown show, the Gardot, Peter Gardot, our our famous patron, was out in Western New York at a wedding recently, and. Uh, I mean, he goes places, but then he sends postcards that look like they're from from 80 years ago. So I don't know if, <laughs> if he's like, I'm going. Is there a copyright on this thing? No. But it's got one of those, like, it just looks old. 
Oh, it says 1975 marks the 150th anniversary. So, yeah, so it's got to be at least from 1975. So we're going on, you know, what, almost. The, the picture or the postcard? The postcard. Oh. And uh, Pete, huh. Peter's note is, Nate, now here's a lock system for you. <laughs> 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 Keeping with his tradition last week, in case you weren't listening, of the Brooklyn Bridge. And here's a bridge for you. So he was moving out west. And as he was doing so, sending postcards from the Brooklyn Bridge and the Erie Canal. So. Well, leave it to the Gardo to not only educate us uh, geographically, but to uh, leave us in stitches. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a great one. Um, but yeah, thank you. Uh, we always enjoy getting postcards as Peter Gardo hits the road and uh, tours these United States. Very good stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, this week uh, also um, got something else in the mail. This one actually. So I left for work this morning and I well, I went out to my car and I saw there was something on the stoop and I was like, what is this? So it looked like a, well, it looks like and is a box for a record. And I was like, huh, I don't remember ordering any records recently. Well, I recognize that box. You do. Well, if it's um, if it's what I think it is, I got one, too. Oh, did you too? From, Let's uh, see. What is it? From our good friend Scott. Yep. Oh my goodness, you got one too. So, yeah. Wow. Finally, I get some of the gifts around here. Yeah, this is this isn't cool. John can't start getting <laughs> gifts. He's gonna get all cocky now. <laughs> but what it is is, as John already knows, um, uh, it is three the three Mark One albums, all Tetragrammaton pressings. So they got Shades of Deep Purple, Book of Taliesin, and Deep Purple from the on that were p- pressings from the Tetragrammaton label, and you can see the little label there with the logo. Uh huh. Um, see now I got something different. Let me grab. You one. did okay. We can put our we can put our presents together. Um, and I know no Scott has been searching these out for himself as well, um, but it has obviously been very generous in in finding stuff yes. and sending them to us. Um, yeah, he um. Yep, he sent me, let me see, one, two, three, four, four Ooh. 45s um, of the Mark I singles. Nice. So I have um, Kentucky Woman um, with Hard Road, uh, Listen, Learn, Read On with River Deep, Mountain High, um, The Bird Has Flown with Amaretta, and... April with Hallelujah. Wow. And these, um, yes, these are, I believe these are, yeah, these are all Tetragrammaton as well. So yeah, in his, in his travels, I mean, he was, um, you know, we, uh, if anybody listens to, uh, Scott show, um, or talks to him, you know, that he's been trying to search out like he he said he was just bitten inexplicably bitten by this bug to just yeah collect he's been, he's all the tetragrammaton originals yeah. yeah so and in his search he's just i guess he you know picked up these other you know copies and um he had sent me another um actually in these i think is one of the mark 145s he had sent me a one-off like a month or two ago and then oh, i guess nice. he completed it with this and so um and I maybe it was because I just told him that when I redid this room, I had gotten a new turntable um, oh, so nice. I could play my records. And so, um, yeah, actually, no, it was the Hush one, I remember. Okay. It was the first one I got. But, yeah, anyways, I uh, sent this to me with a um, nice note. 
And, yeah. What does um, what does your note say? Um, John, these records should complete your DP Tetragrammaton 45 collection. Um, curious, the one labeled Gan- Ganja Music, I think, when all the others say Deep Purple. I don't. Ganja Music. <laughs> G G A N J A. That oh yeah, you know what it is? Ganja Music. Um, no record store owners were hurt in the process of obtaining these records, <laughs> unless they were. <laughs> Thanks for all you do, Scott. P.S. Enjoy your complimentary non-roller coaster. It sent me... Where's my coaster? There it is. Non-roller coaster. Yes, he sent me a a coaster. um, Ah. Dreamscape. I've got mine too of his his Dreamscape album. Yeah, I can't... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. You can't see it because this part on the... Thing is kind of blurred out on the thing itself. Yeah, it looks but. like it's being. Uh, it's it's like the you, your yeah. light that's shining on it, but it's actually the sunset kind of picture. So so yeah. So in front of me, like in front of my monitor here, I've started to amass a little collection here. So I have um, the mo- my monitor is flanked by our mug and one from the Magicians podcast, and now I actually have two coasters. I have the Dreamscape one, and then I have the Gardo oh, one that go. we signed when we were at your parents' house. Yeah, I'm, I'm like my desk is piled with stuff that people keep giving us. So right? yeah, my my ledge is starting to my ledge here is starting to become a little collection of like uh, you know podcast items. It's kind of fun. Yeah, my note from Scott says uh, Nathan, I hope you enjoy what I am naming the Rod Nikki Tetragrammaton LP collection. I would love to have been able to include the concerto, but I don't have a home to pull equity from for it. <laughs> Thanks for all that you do to make my favorite podcast, Scott. Please enjoy a complimentary drink square. So I am I am actually retiring the drink square that I have this on. And I'm putting this one down. So let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. The drink just sits really nicely on that. And I will th- I will thank Scott. S- Scott um, is a musician and releases music. And he has a lot of like very like kind of like ambient uh, music re- uh, recordings that he puts out. And um, I remember like in the in the height of the pandemic, I was like having like when it first started and like work was so stressful. And I was having trouble getting to sleep. Scott had like recommended like, oh, hey, you should listen to this album by me. It's like music, to, to you know, like for meditation and relaxing and stuff. And I, I remember just like some nights putting that on and just like listening to it. And it's just like really calming and soothing kind of music and sounds. And, um, it's really, I, I, I always appreciate that he kind of recommended that. And I've, you know, given it quite a few listens on Spotify as I, as I, as I, uh, was sitting up in a, in a existential panic about what was going on in the world that like first summer of 2020 or whatever. But thankfully things have calmed down a little bit. Well, it's funny because I had like, um, like no kidding. I did the, um, I did the same thing. There was one night where I was, and usually like anybody that knows me know that I'd like, you know, I'll, I'll fall asleep anywhere. <laughs> um, it's true. To, to most people's annoyance. Um, <laughs> but um, there was one night where I couldn't sleep and it was around the, the same time. And I, I remember it was around Christmas because I was like, you know, I was in bed texting and it was like, I don't know, one, two in the morning here, but for Scott, it's three hours earlier. So he, like I was talking to him, um, I can't remember like why we started chatting, but, um, you know, I was like, yeah, I can't sleep. And he had actually, I think he, it was him. He recommended that, but he also had a Christmas album. And I mm-hmm. think I'd put on like the Christmas album, you know, which is the same style of music. And, um, same with you. I had like, you know, was playing it, um, at night before going to bed. And it was nice too, because I, you know, I enjoy Christmas music, of course, around the season. So that was kind of 
soothing and, you know, did the trick. Yeah, absolutely. And appreciate, uh, appreciate mm-hmm. that. Scott it was really nice. He to send us that stuff. Um, but Hey, listen, folks, uh, we're here, um, to talk about one thing and that is not, um, crappy comics from the Sunday paper, (laughs) but it is the album, Joe Satriani, not of this earth. Um, so this one, uh, is technically Joe's first full-length album. He had an uh, EP before this that was just entitled Joe Satriani, and it was, um, you know, kind of limited release and it not. I def- it definitely wasn't around in any record stores or anything. Um, but but the, but this one um, was the first one that he released full full length. And what do you, what is your? Do you have any history with this album? Um, a little bit. Um, I. Um, I remember I was in like, I want to say it was probably in like seventh, seventh or eighth grade. So I was like, I remember it was like the summer before school. So it was like, you know, I was like 12, 13 and I was just getting into music. And I remember there was a record store or like a tape store or whatever that was in like biking distance from my house, which is not easy. You know, you know where I live. Yeah, it's not, it's not a downtown area. (laughs) Right. So um, I went over to this place and um, I went in and I asked the guy, um, you know, because I just started getting into rock music. So I said, um, are there any, he said, what are you looking for? And I said, are there any albums that, you know, are like, you know, like really guitar oriented or like, you know, you know, have good guitar on it, that type of thing. Because, you know, and I was thinking of like, you know, the the hair metal type of stuff that I liked, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't remember if I told him the stuff I listened to was like poison and stuff like that at the time. And he had pulled out a copy of surfing with the alien, Mm -hmm. which was newish, I guess at the time it had to have been because that would have been around 88, 89. So it was only about for a year or two. And he's like this right here. And so I'm like, I'll take it, you know, and that was all (laughs) all the money I had because it was like, you know, that's all I could, um, you know, whatever a tape costs, that's whatever my allowance was. So um, I'm like, all right, took it, took it, took him on his word, brought it home, listened to it. And I thought it was pretty damn good. I was like, okay, like, you know, I, w- I thought it was going to be, I didn't know what it was going to be because at the time I didn't know that there were artists like him and Steve Vai and everything that did instrumental guitar albums, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was actually how I got into it. And it wasn't until, um, you know, I worked my way backwards and I realized, oh, he had another album. And so when I saw this one, um, I picked it up as well. But I mean, that was after the fact. Um, and I remember, I don't remember too much about it because I remember surfing with the alien was like really, um, you know, I really liked it. Um, this other one seeing as is that it was like before that, I remember just thinking like, oh, this seems a little less, um, polished or I don't like it as much or whatever. Maybe it was because there was the album before this album, which was the one that hit big for him, you know, you know, helped him like kind of make his name in terms of somebody releasing albums. Because I mean, of course we all knew who's a name just in general, you know, mm-hmm. being guitar teacher and accomplished guitar player and everything. But, um, but uh, yeah, there's actually, I'm, I probably haven't heard this album like in a good, <laughs> like 30 years myself. So mm-hmm. You know, I don't really, you know, I'll, I'll probably stuff will come back to me when we're listening to it, but I have not heard it in a while. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Similarly, I, I got into it, I think, from my cousin Jeff, who probably got into it from you. So like, I kind of maybe got into it secondhand and I had gotten, I, I seem to remember getting them at the same time, although I could be wrong about that, but surfing with the alien and then this one. Um, and yeah, just kind of opening my, my eyes to just like, wow, what, what some like crazy guitar playing is really all about. Um, and yeah, that's kind of my history with it. Same as you, I probably haven't listened to it in like 30 years. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I have a feeling when I put it on and we start playing it, I've intentionally not listened to it leading up to this. I have a feeling when it starts up, I'm just going to come flooding right back because it was something I had on and pretty, this and Surfing with the Alien, I had on in pretty heavy rotation. Although I have listened to Surfing with the Alien more recently because that was kind of for whatever. I think a lot of it had to do with the album cover just being super cool. Um yeah. Yeah. And, you know, probably un, un, using an unlicensed picture of the Silver Surfer, which has subsequently been removed from the album artwork. But um, mm-hmm. like th- that one just seemed to be my go to for, for whatever reason. But, you know, not knowing at the time that this was, um, you know, this was just a few years after that Squares album that we were that we reviewed way back. Mm-hmm. And he's got the same um, engineer, John Cunaberti. Um, and then, uh, and producer, I should say. And then he also has the, his drummer from squares would play drums on this. Although this album is kind of, he, uh, Jeff Campitelli is the drummer's name. He played drums, percussion, and the whistle. So listen, listen for that whistle. Um, (laughs) don't recall a whistle in this album, but maybe it'll jump out at us when we're listening. Um, so yeah, so he's got that squares connection still. He's still playing with his drummer. And I think he plays on a few of his other albums too. Um, but yeah, it was, it was to me at the time, it felt like a very, something that was very unique is just this kind of instrumental guitar playing over it. I mean, obviously there's tons of stuff like that um, in other yeah, genres, I, uh, but for I like, mean, I didn't know that they existed, that kind of album. Right. And for, for this like style of music, it was just an, un, at least it seemed, and, and people I'm sure will listen to this episode and write in with 400 examples. We don't know about uh, that happened before this. And I know that you got guys like Aldi Miola and um, you know, all these jazz guys and stuff that had done similar things, but to me, but for I mean like, like, ro- like rock albums, right, you know, right. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, when I, like I grew up like, um, you know, my parents would listen to like George Benson. And I mean, you know, except for like one or two vocals, like on a song, like it was all instrumental stuff. Um, and you know, some of the other, like, you know, I guess a lot of the examples like jazz musicians, yeah, they, you know, those, those albums existed, like, right. The Billy, the Billy Cobham album. Sure. Right. I mean, we didn't know that stuff existed then, but I mean, it was like, you know, we're talking about like modern rock, like in the mid to late eighties. And I remember that after I discovered this one, Steve Vai album, Passion of Warfare was out in, I think, 89. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that one was like, you know, remains like one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, you know, to this day. But I mean, I, I remember it kind of being more in the more in the mainstream because he had that video for it mm-hmm. that was on MTV, um, which, you know, kind of, you know, blew my mind because I mean, you know, the um, oh, what was the name of it? the audience is listening, which doesn't, didn't really have a vocal. It had like, you know, it was an instrumental, but it had a lot of like, it had a story going on yeah, and with the, the teacher with the yelling kid and, playing Steve I and stuff. Yeah. Like right. And the Steve teacher I. was yelling. She's like, Hey, get off the desk, you know, and classic. Stuff like, like that. I mean, that, what was that 89 or 90 that that album came out? 
Yeah. But it was very 80s. The video was very 80s, like a little kid, little tough guy kid being a rocker. And, yeah. and the adults being like, oh, I can't even deal with the fact that this kid is playing this loud rock music. They just loved that trope. And then like uh, and some of the spoken word stuff, like which blew my mind later was Coverdale. Yeah. And it's like he had done some yeah. spoken word on it. Like yep. he was the because after that, it was like that is him because he was like really close to the to the mic and he would just like speak like, you know, a, like a poetic sentence or two. And I was like, huh, that's Coverdale. Never knew it. Yeah, and of crazy. course, that made sense later with the White Snake connection and everything that he was be, would be on that album. But kind of funny how that all, you know, ties in together. And with this stuff, it always does. Mm hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the only other, you know, John Cunaberti, the producer plays like he does some vocals and some percussion on it, but the, uh, but Joe Satriani is doing the guitar, the bass, the keyboards, like he's doing, you know, 90% of this is just Joe Satriani playing. Um, and so there's some regular drums, acoustic drums, and then there's also some electronic drums on this album. I think it's pretty heavily electronic drums, if I remember correctly, um, on the technical end, like we said, the producer, uh, John Cunaberti, he worked with the Dead Kennedys, PJ Harvey, Grateful Dead. Um, and then it was produ co-produced with Cunaberti and Satriani. Um, the artwork is interesting because I'm going to put this up. And if you're anything like me, you're not going to recognize it at all. But this is the original um, album cover, which is not the cover that I that that I had of this one. And uh, here it is. Um it's this uh, planetoid just in the distance, like hovering over this like canyon or whatever. It's very like wow. space kind of looking and uh, cl dark clouds and shining like neon lights and stuff. Um, this was the I've never seen this one. Right. And I honestly hadn't really seen it up until recently like i doing searches for this album and i'm like what oh i was like oh they must have changed the cover they must have changed the cover they did change the cover but they changed it a few years later to the one that we know so this is the original release the design was by rubina satriani who if you guessed is joe satriani's wife the illustration was by cosino siana um who did illustrations for rod stewart and a few other bands uh the photography on this one by zach wilson uh, graphics by carlos uh, Carol, sorry, Carlos, Carol Satriani, uh, who is Joe's uh, sister and a California based artist. And the graphics were by Joan Satriani, who is Joe's other sister. It's a real family mm. affair. Um, she also designed uh, Joe Satriani's famous Ibanez uh, JS4 guitar, like did the artwork for that. Um, so a very artistic family. I think it would have been funny if there was a there was a Carlos Satriani. Carlos, I mean, there might as well be. They've got enough Satrianis <laughs> flying around here. Um, so, so yeah, so this this is the album cover that was originally the word on the street. What all I could find out about is like we lost the album art. We can't find it, so we had to make this new album cover, which seems crazy to me. Like I don't know if they just this does the if they made like production plates for it that they need to use or what it was, but the album art was lost. And hmm. this is uh, so they made this new album cover, which is the one that you know and the one that I know and the one that probably most people know. Um, yeah. And I was kind of debating which one I should put in the uh, in the album artwork when we're looking at the songs. I was like, I got to kind of like this is the, uh, the the picture I associate with this album. Um, Me too, yeah. It's yeah, it's just Joe Satriani like going real high on the doing a high bend on uh, looks like. 
Atlas must must be bending the E string up there on the on the twenty first twenty fourth fret, or at least a one two three. Maybe it's the twenty fourth fret. Can't tell because his fingers are covering it. Um, you get that strip down the the center. So this one was um, this one's the reissue, and this was this one was designed. Um, art direction by David Bett and photography by Glenn Lafferman. Uh, um, and then he's using this uh, Ibanez 540S guitar that is just like a prop guitar they had lying around, but it wasn't used on the album and it wasn't even didn't even belong to him. It was just like kind of like, hey, Joe, we need a new album cover. We got this guitar lying around. Just do a dweedly dweedly dwee on it and we'll <laughs> take a quick picture and throw this album cover together. Um so that's the that's the story there. The original album cover came with this yeah. like sticker that was on the album cover, which was like a little testimonial from Steve Vai. Um, and it says um, it says when I was 14, I bought a guitar for five dollars. I had heard about a hot guitar teacher in my town named Joe Satriani. He was a few years older than me and went to the same school. I called him for lessons and went to his house with my five dollar guitar and a pack of strings for three years. Through Joe, I saw what true musicality was. His playing never ceases to venture into unexplored realms. As a role model, his attitude is totally professional, but there's always the unexpected element of surprise. His personality reflects a subtle spirituality. He's an incredible inspiration. Inspiration. Love you, Joe. Steve Vai. And this would have been like 1986. So, you know, Steve Vai was around there. He was a hot name, too. Uh, but, you know, he he took lessons from from Satriani. And then on the inside of the, the CD um, is Joe's kind of explanation of the album. He says, this album was recorded in early 1985. The music reflects a collection of ideas I've been working on at the time. My goal was to make a guitar record that would be enjoyed by all, not just Guitar Chops record, but one with real music on it. It took 107 hours to record and mix all of the material. The pace was brisk but exhilarating. And with the help of John Cunaberti and Jeff Campitelli, each composition developed into a unique statement of texture, emotion, and style. But you're probably wondering who Joe Satriani is and where did he come from? Well, a certain amount of mystique is good, but I'll give you a hint. I was born and raised in New York, and I've been playing guitar for about 16 years. Although I now reside in California, I played in Europe, Asia, and all over the United States with different bands at different times. At this moment, as of this moment, I'm putting my own group together, as well as recording another solo record, which I promise will turn heads, drop jaws, and create world peace in our lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> not of this earth on CD can be an amazing audio experience. So turn it up. Signed Joe Satriani, 1986. Kind of a cool little uh, uh, idea of what you're getting into. I like the very, very precise 107 hours. And mm -hmm. um, well, he's, he's promising to create world peace, which is, you know, big, a big, big promise. Um, you've got this kind of, in the booklet for the CD. And I, I looked around. I couldn't find my CD. I got this CD and Surfing with the Alien. I could not find them anywhere. I don't know if they just got lost or donated or whatever happened, but I could not find them anywhere. But mm -hmm. you open up the CD and you see this this, this suspiciously cassette-sized photo of Joe Satriani all squished to one side of the page. So it's clearly just like chopped and pasted from a, from a cassette. And then um, on the back of the CD, just kind of the... Um, uh, this is the 19 so it came out in 1986 originally it's a 1988 re-release and then just got a track listing on the back nothing crazy the record had a picture of joe like really like you know balls out rocking with the guitar between his legs wearing some printed tight pants um and then uh on the on the on the album record itself it's from food for thought records it's not the greatest logo of all time it's like a turntable that's an egg <laughs> <laughs> it's like an egg and the yolk is in the center and there's just like a like a needle just down on an egg it's kind of weird it's weird um 
yeah. So that's that's the album art um, for the album. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like I said, this was this was for me, uh, and I'm sure others probably have their own uh, entry point record. But for me, this was this and um, Surfing with the Alien were my two first like guitar hero instrumental, just guitar albums so it's kind of a uh, you know it was a big turning point for me and an awakening and what was out there as far as rock and metal i mean i wouldn't call Setra any necessarily metal um but uh it was it was a it was a big wake up call for what was going on out there mhm all right so before we get into the tracks um and we are going to get a little nerdy on this one cuz I, I there's some things that are kind of mentioned about these songs that need to get mentioned as far as like the um the 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 scales and the and the things that are being used and stuff like that so I will try to explain what I know about them as best I can given the fact that I am not by any means a musical theory genius um I I know the very basics but um there's some there's some cool notes to be made about the songs but you know what, John? Before we get into that, I think there's something we got to do. Do you know what it is? No, what? <laughs> now he's just messing. Up. You know, if this was a year ago, I might have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we no, silly. We have to thank our core level patrons. I knew that. Coming in at the seven dollar seventy seven cent, keep it warm rat tier. We have Michael Vader at the six dollar ninety nine cent, the new nice price tier. We have Fielding Fowler at the episode six dollar sixty six cent tier. We have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving at the six dollar sixty five cent almost evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore at the five dollar ninety nine cent nice price tier. We have Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford, and Carl Helberg, and at the five dollar money lender tier. John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Will Porter, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Tim Southern Cross Johnson, Percival Frequency, and of course, Scott Zerns. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. Okay. Well, are you ready to go into the bust through the stratosphere, go into the alien realms and be not of this earth? Yes, let's go. <laughs> and become robots. <laughs> or is that a robot or an alien? I don't know. I don't know. Because you were doing I a did, robot I, like I, hand I, I did my robot arms. <laughs> but robots can be on this earth. No, okay. Maybe, yeah, my robot voice and my alien voice are kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Yes, let's do it. We do. We do. <laughs> it always comes right. down to that. There but, we um, go. Okay, here we go. Not of this earth. The titular not of this earth. <laughs> The titular. Where is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Were you just bopping your head listening to it? I didn't even hear it. Okay. All right. I'm going to I'm going to just do that. That was a false start. But um, uh, yeah, I wasn't really bopping my head. I wasn't moving yet. But anyway, the titular. I was so I was so focused on saying titular that I forgot to mm. say not of this earth. Here we go. Not of this earth. So starting off with a kind of a almost discordant chord progression. I mean, you could tell those are electronic drums. There's no, uh, you, you think <laughs> there's no mistaking that they're almost like kind of bit crunched. It sounds like 
So this chord progression is using something called pitch axis theory, which we'll get into in a little bit. Hmm, nerdy. But it's got this kind of unsettling uh, sound to it. Man, this is just like bringing me back to being in like my bedroom at my parents' house. Probably like f- 15 empty Coke cans around me playing some <laughs> dumb computer game listening to this. <laughs> I could I can picture it. <laughs> you've you've seen it. <laughs> mhm. You know, we drink drink more cans of Coke in a in a single day than I do in probably 6 years. So the whole thing about this theory apparently is that you start off with you've got a root note and you leave the root note and just kind of move the the chord around that note making new chords. Huh. So this one for example is um, E major 13, E minor 7 sharp 5, uh, E major 13, E7 sus 4. But to me I was just like that sounds kind of common to leave a root note and then change the chords up but this was um is a way of thinking about chord progressions and modes that was heavily used and popularized by Joe Satriani though he didn't invent it but I'm sure there's lots of uh, other people who are going to use similar techniques um, they, they reference that there's a Wikipedia entry where they re- reference a dream theater song. And they also reference Satch Boogie, which does the same thing. Huh. I like Satch Boogie. Yeah, Satch Boogie is a great one. And they played that with Deep Purple live, I think. When he was playing with Deep Purple. And supposedly this pitch axis theory is very um, controversial among amongst music snobs. They're saying it's misleading. It doesn't it because it doesn't represent a separate theory of it's there's no there's no like nothing about it that's different from regular music theory, but let them argue about it. <laughs> you don't want to weigh in? No, as soon as you start, like, you just start saying, like, theory for anything, and I'm like, (laughs) like, I can't, I can never follow them, so I'm not, not saying I'm dumb, but. I think it's one of those um, things, for me anyway, that I'm not smart enough to get any of that. I can follow it to a point, but then when they start getting, I remember there was this great video about, uh, by Victor Wooten, who I, you know, is one of my favorite bass players, and. He was doing this thing like he was doing this video. He's like, listen, music theory is really, really easy. I'm going to break it down for you. And and that was the last thing I remember about what he said. (laughs) He just went into this thing. I was like, this is not building a strong case for why this is easy. Um, Yeah, it's just I think it's one of those things. Once you reach a certain point, you probably like 
you have this uh, this like you break through to the other side and you're just like ah and all all the numbers I'm, I'm I'm like seeing the matrix you know you know but um yeah I never I never quite got to that point I got you know I got to the point I could do basic I can do basic sight reading I, I know I understand scales and fifths and all that sort of stuff but yeah I don't I don't get too crazy beyond that so yeah it's like yeah this is like all right this is really easy if your IQ is between two and three hundred like, oh okay thanks yeah. <laughs> All right, so what do you think of not of this earth? It sounds not of this earth. Um, yeah, that's um, I haven't heard that in a while. Um, I mean, I well, I mean, that's stating the obvious. I just said I hadn't heard this album in like friggin' thirty years. So, um, I I think that I'm gonna give it um, two point five. Okay. Um, I think it's I think it's average. Um, I do like now. You said that he played. He plays an Ibanez, mm-hmm. which Steve Vai also plays, which is why I play Ibanez, mm-hmm. which is a separate story. I'm not, by the disclaimer. I'm nowhere nearly as good as these people. Oh, he's being but, modest. He's just as he's every bit as good as as Satch or Vai. All right, yeah, even better. That's what um, he's, <laughs> he's going to be on the next G three album. <laughs> yeah, Satriani, <laughs> Petrucci, Matola. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'd poop my pampers if that happened. I know. Can you imagine? Even if I mean, even somebody who is like um, amazing, but maybe a little younger, being on stage with like guys like that's got to be so intimidating. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I do love about uh, Ibanez is like the clean, uh, the clean tone that you can get just that he has ding, from those first, yeah, from ding, those first chords yeah. are just these like these crystal clear chords. And if I'm not wrong, I believe that it is the the it's it's like it's two pickups. It's either the neck in the middle or like the bridge in the middle pickup or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Whenever I wanted a clean sound, I would I always throw my, you know, my pickups to those two and like get that kind of sound, which I really love. Um, but I think that um, and I mean, the the soloing is is um, is pretty good. Like, I like how you can kind of hear like, you know, the room in the solos and everything. But the one thing is, is I feel like, you know, I, I like on a lot of other instrumental albums at least maybe until they got more sophisticated the drum machine is kind of limiting because it's just like it doesn't it doesn't really go anywhere dynamically it's just boom 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 you know which is not very interesting so it kind of just keeps it in one spot um so in you know um uh, not a bad song but not not a great song either like not not an opener like surfing with the alien for instance Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I'll I'll agree with you on a two point five on this one. It's it's you know for a, a rock guitar hero album, it's like very under, and it's it's not a bad thing, but it's a very understated, low energy sort of um, number. And I I remember listening to this with uh, with Paul, and and Paul was Paul would kind of like he would he take things to like extremes, and he would always be like you know for for him. He was more of well, like a, no. He he was more of a cacophony kind of guy, which was again that and the Marty Friedman solo albums were other ones that I got kind of all at the same time because those came out like late '80s as well. Because it was yeah, it was prior mm-hmm. to him joining Megadeth. Um, so those were other ones that I would listen to quite like the cacophony album. And even though there's some re- the production is pretty bad and the and there's some there's some pretty bad stuff on it. But like but both Jason Becker and Marty Friedman are two like 
two of my favorites, just so amazing. And um, but but one thing he always came to is just like it's just like somebody playing two chords and then somebody showing off over it. I think over the years. I've grown to appreciate that there is more to it than that. And I also think listening to more recent Satriani albums, he's he's evolved a lot as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really, really good melodically. He's obviously an incredible soloist. Um, but I think what, what you hear is like it's a little low energy with just like you said, that drums, drum machine going and just, you know, he's just ding, ding, these whole night, whole note chord strums or picks or whatever you want to call them ringing out in the background and he's he's doing all these yeah <laughs> all these like kind of like like starting up the lawnmower type style uh <laughs> guitar runs <laughs> that's a great way and, of putting it yeah it's yeah pop, it's not it's not head, very but. like i mean it's it's all right you listen to it and you're like oh it's all right you know a guy can play but it's like you know the song itself is not really that interesting outside of the fact that like what you said is is that it has this unsettling quality which maybe would would be like okay not of this earth good title for it It sounds a little like discordant whatever but you know not not quite you know the the level of the stuff that he would do right you know yeah and then you know this is somebody putting together their full first full-length album so obviously um yeah you're gonna see you're, you're going to see some stuff or hear some stuff rather that's, you know, him figuring things out and learning how to navigate these waters. Um, but here we go. Here's track number two, The Snake. <laughs> so now here we've got electronic drums again, but a definite groove. Some bass chords. I love it. This almost sounds like some of the early, like, MIDI video game music that would come out. This is like Joe Satriani wrote this to, like, submit to, like, you know, maybe you can use this in the... You can use this in the scene in Weird Science where they create the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It does. It has that kind of, like, you know, that 80s montage feel to it. Which we all know I love. But listen to that, that. His melody line on the guitar, he always brings in these really great melody lines before he cuts loose and does a solo. He's got a great melody. I'm thinking of our buddy Jonathan. I think he'd agree on the, the video game aspect of this. We talk about those links between video I, game I music can, and I metal. I can hear it now more. It's... It's funny because it sounds so, the background's so electronic, but then you've got this really cool, you know, rock, interesting tone on the guitar. <laughs> like an early uh, Tom Morello style solo there. All right. He's <laughs> just that. all over the map with throwing all these different things in there. All right, now it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> Before that, it was like a Metallica riff or something like. 
it's cool because it's mixing stuff up so much that he'll he'll land on this one little groove and you're like, oh, you get really into it. But by the time you start bopping along to it, boom, he's on to the next thing. I remember this. It was like a pick scrape sounding thing. It's like that Paula Abdul sounding drum machine. I find that odd that he would feature like a little solo spot for the electronic drum machine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen on drums, the Roland D8. And he just presses a button. <laughs> what was the album that we talking about where they, they credited Roland something or other and it was the drum machine? <laughs> Ro- Roland Vocoder. Roland Vocoder, that's right. I'm like, who's he? And you're like, no, that's not a person. <laughs> <laughs> Roland. <laughs> some crazy stuff going on in the bass and those little boodaloo, mm. those little like, like slide up and slide down half steps are pretty nice a lot of paisans involved uh, in the making of this album yeah right the whole Satriani family Campitelli Cubanari man I would have loved to have been at some of the meals that these people were oh, having yeah. during the making of this album <laughs> well you know Steve Vai's um, did I tell you this last time here Steve Vai's brother has a restaurant in my city it's called Vai's no. it's an Italian restaurant it's really oh, good oh we gotta go yeah next time you come we'll have to go there I mean it's it's uh, it's not cheap but it's re- really you know they. it's not like some place you're gonna go and just get chicken parm but they, they have like you know um I don't know. You, I'll send you the menu, but some really good stuff. We got, we've gotten them. We've never been, but we got them takeout a few times during the pandemic to try to support them. It's not cheap. What are you telling me? You can't afford it. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? You saying I'm cheap? Huh? You saying that I can't afford it? You say I'm not a man of the people? I'll show you. All right. What do you think <laughs> of the snake? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a funny title. Um, that's yeah, another thing. Is, it's always funny, like, n- making titles for these, like, instrumentals. It's like, what are we going to call this one? Uh, the snake. All right. Good. <laughs> Print it. Done. Sounds good. Sounds like a snake. Sometimes um, it kind of, I think it evokes, like, the, the actual title of the song. But sometimes it's like, what are you, you going to do? Um, I'll give it a three. All right. Um, I, I've slightly elevated over the the first track. It's got a, it's got a fun groove to it. Um I mean, you know, the the, the bass line's really cool. I, I think it's got a fun, like, uh, kind of, like, really, uh, like, 80s, like, synth-pop feel to it. But, you know, already I feel like when you were just talking about um, his songwriting has improved, I can I can tell that you're right with it. Because even though, like, he was, like, what do you say in the, the album notes? Like, he was playing guitar for 16 years. Mm-hmm. This sounds like the kind of stuff that, like, that I was writing when I wasn't, like you know when I was trying to write songs was just like just throwing all sorts of crap in there like I mean that middle part just (laughs) sounded like you know he was just throwing a bunch of junk in there which I mean while while it sounded cool you know it it was just kind of like hey look a heavy riff hey look like pick scraping hey look some some tapping you know Mm -hmm. it's like 
Um, all right. It's almost then, like a like a um, a reel, like if you you know, as an actor or a comedian or something, you'll have a reel yeah. of just like sixty seconds of just you cracking one liners, or it's like your series of headshots. It's it's kind of like is almost like an audition tape. Like, hey, listen to this. If you want me to play in your album, here's some of the things I can do. And I mean, maybe I'm wrong too. You know, like maybe like if somebody made a case for it, it's like, well, if you look at the way the song is structured, what he was what he was trying to do is, you know, but. Um, you know, to my ears, that's kind of what it sounded like. And then another point is also is, is that, you know, he wanted to make like a relatable rock album. Well, none of that is relatable to what anybody listens to. You know, it's just like it it sounds very guitar geeky, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, you know, there are parts of it where like there is like a good uh, like, you know, good accessible melody and it's not really difficult. But I mean, you know, don't pretend that there isn't like some stuff in there like you're like whoa that's you know that's guitar shredder stuff because there is Mm -hmm. well i think one thing i like about satriani is in this age where there's four hundred thousand instagram and youtube channels or whatever of people just shredding like insanely this to me is almost refreshing like ah he's really tuning it down at the time it was you know pretty out there i'm sure oh yeah but to me it's it's melodically just a lot more interesting he does leave a little space and a little room to to get into it and you know i get some people are into those those other things and that's fine but for me i like something a little bit more melodic and a little bit more slow paced i'm gonna give this one a 3.5 because i do um Mm -hmm. i do really like the melody the groove that's going on even though it's a drum machine but there's a good groove, a nice, cool bass line where he's doing those. I don't know if he's doing chords or double stops or whatever it is, but really, um, I really dig that part of it. And this is one of those ones. I'm sure if you I'm sure if like you went to see him live in 2022 and he busted out the snake, it would be like, whoa, you know, like he'd have a full <laughs> band, like a real drummer and like a band. And it would have more like of that, you know, this is him putting stuff down over drum machines and things. And there's only so much you can do. With the style of music doing that. And I'm sure he had that limitation and um, at the time and just kind of rolled with it. But anyway, that's my feelings on the snake. And next we'll get up to is um, Rubina, which is, as we've learned, his wife's name. So this is a song, I'm sure, about or and or for her. Rubina. Oh, yeah. Going to bring it down, Rubina. A little, a little romantic. A love letter to his wife. I think, they, I don't know if they're, they must have been married at that time because she's credited as Rubina Satriani. Definitely the drum machine's pretty forward in the mix. <laughs> It's <laughs> the drum machine at a had a solo album. <laughs> yeah, whose solo album is this? Satriani's or the drum machines? <laughs> like a Billy Cobham style album, but instead of Billy Cobham, a real drummer, it's like <laughs> this is Roland TR8, not of this earth. <laughs> like not even a person. <laughs> I 
I re- this one's coming back to me now. I remember this part. And I think it's it's worth noting that this to me is an era of music that just it's almost impossible to get myself in the mind frame of being when, when this first came out. Like I'm listening to this when you know when I got it like you said like a few years after it came out didn't really nothing about this jumped out at me now but it, this this era of production for music just aged so so poorly hmm. you know with a way that stuff in the early 80s late 70s early 70s early 90s all that like everything surrounding this like weird production nucleus say from like 1883 84 to like through 89 or so I don't know what the cutoffs are but man a lot of it didn't age well If you can just isolate that guitar in your mind, it's playing some really great stuff. to think of what that bass drum sounds like go go it's very uh, it's like the gavels from law and order <laughs> does it sound like that dung, dung. <laughs> they just need a little bit more uh decay on them in the satriani justice department <laughs> what is how does it go for law and order Criminal Justice Department, they're two blah blah blah. I've only seen oh. 900 episodes of that, you'd think I'd remember it. Oh, yeah, I know, right? We're watching like since like the what was the first season like 1999? <laughs> it's been it was, on like for been on forever, man. I think it was earlier than that. I think it was like the midnight 94 or something. No, that was no, that was Law and Order SVU. Was, oh, for SVU, yeah. No, the yeah, original SVU one's was ni- like nineteen. Oh, yeah, the original one was like, was it? Wow. Yeah. Now SVU is the one that I've been watching like forever. Yeah, when we were in New York, we would watch it. I mean, I'm probably in episodes of Law and Order that I don't even know about. They were always <laughs> when I lived in New York, you'd just always be walking by and be like, oh, yep, there's Chris Maloney and filming. They were just always filming anywhere you went. There was <laughs> filming a scene for Law and Order. I must have walked by like 15 times different different scenes they were shooting. Funny if you leaned over and you're like, what's this one about, rape? <laughs> <laughs> sure, they'd appreciate that. Wait a minute, uh, like a sex trafficking ring. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> and so yet they, they keep it fresh and I'm not I like even joking. Yeah, I don't know like, how that's possible because it's the same like format and... and Whatever. It's, yeah, it's almost like the same episode every time, but it's like compelling television. 
can't look away. I cannot. All right, we completely lost sight of the song because of the bass. Sorry, song. Rubina. <laughs> oh, well, I'm listening to Mike Mike Post wasn't Mike Post um, who did the theme song for Law and Order? Didn't he? Um, he like produced like a Van Halen album, didn't he? Was it? Uh, I don't know. I think he post uh, uh, post. I think he produced one of the uh, Van Halen albums in a weird. Anyway, that was Rubina. John, what do you think about Rubina? Well, I'm sure that she's a lovely woman. Um, however, her song does not fare so well. Um, actually, not terribly. I'll give it another. I'll give it a 2.5. Um, um, again, like middle of the road, no real like, you know, dynamics or anything. Um, I mean, it's it's. You know what it is? It's just like um, when we I realize when we start to like get off on a tangent or something when a song's going on that I'm just like, all right, I'm not into it. But <laughs> one thing that I do. But one thing that I do realize is that it, it is nice background music. Oh, and, yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I think it's nice background music because it's just kind of like it's just kind of there. You know, I mean, he's got like um, he's got like a melody going on. He's got some soloing going on, but it's not really it's not really doing anything or going anywhere that makes you kind of sit up and take notice. Um, so, I mean, you know, it was just a five minute plus, you know, song. Almost six. Those yeah. A little bit on the long side, but I'll agree. I'll give it a 2.5 again. 2.5 is kind of our average rating. And I think it's, um, it's hard and it's almost unfair to compare it to some of the other stuff that we review because that's like, straight ahead rock with vocals and all that. And this is for what it is, is, is really is kind of a, something you're going to put on in the background. You're not necessarily going to sit there and just, I'm sure some people did, but I can't imagine putting this on in the car and just like driving down the highway, <laughs> listening to, you know what I mean? It's, it's more of like, let's put, it's, put the, it's very moody. It sets a, uh, you know, put, this on the car, put this on in the car and drive down like a back road, <laughs> like a, a country road going like 25 miles an hour. There's people like behind you honking. <laughs> me, yeah. me, me, me. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> For God's sake. Are you uh-huh. listening to Satriani in there? Yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, you kids in your Satriani holding up traffic. Oh, yeah, but it's like it's if it, you know, it, why is it named Rubina? Did he write it for his wife, about his wife, to represent his wife? If his wife is a, a lovely, a wonderful woman, which I'm sure she is, just kind of, you know, emanating this inner and outer beauty in a, in a calm and, you know, in a calm way, then I think mm-hmm. it's a great representation, you know, it's because it makes me think it's, it's, it sounds beautiful. It's very calm. It's very, um, he's not. And, and one of the good things about Joe Satriani is he's not <laughs> putting this like, and doing all these like sweep, like some, some of these guitar heroes don't know when to stop with that. And they'll just be like, Oh, it doesn't matter what, if it's, you know, 180 BPMs or 60 BPMs, what this background is. They're just like, they're going to throw in there all of the tricks that they know as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. And he's, yeah. you know, at least got the decency and the sense to, um, even at, you know, I want to say this young age because he was probably much younger than we are now when he did this. And he was probably like in his late 20s, or early 30s. I don't know exactly uh, how old. And um, 
maybe mid twenties, who knows? But he's 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 putting together this album and showing a good level of maturity for for the amount of playing and stuff that he's done at this point. Um Okay, next track up is a track called Memories. Yeah, I remember this one. Now this sounds like real drums. Oh, yeah. You can tell because there was a fill. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't like... He goes in this almost like reggae thing right here. Which hopefully doesn't lose him points with you. (laughs) (laughs) It does now that you pointed it out. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. But again, here we go. It's this is like all melody here. Mm-hmm. And then he goes. He does a little Blackmore. Uh, he goes into Blackmore territory. Oh yeah. Man, I remember this one vividly. But here you've got you've got some splashes of other things going on rather than just a vamping between two different sections. Almost sounds like a police song right there. Oh, it's because of the damn reggae. <laughs> John hates reggae. <laughs> you know, the, the lead guitar tone is like, it's not it, not that it's bad, but it's like, I think it's something that's specific to this era. It has a real lot of like, like high, like high gain to it or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know what the, I'm trying to think of like what it sounds like like the the mids and the highs are really pushed up there you know it has a real kind of like that kind of sound to it you know what i mean yeah it sounds almost thin but yeah it doesn't have like it's not full bodied yeah yeah i always say that that has kind of a uh when i hear a sound like this it's like a uh, transistor radio-ish kind of sound to it Mm mm-hmm That's my, you know, very uneducated way of approaching transistor that. Transistor radio-ish. You know, it sounds transistor radio-ish. I know what you mean. Yeah, this this is, um, I'm like having flashbacks to like whatever video games I was playing in like 89 or 90. <laughs> Whatever PC games are hot back then. <laughs> See, it's got a beefier sound here. It's it sounds bigger, but not really. And this is also I don't know if this was recorded. 
I mean, it probably wasn't recorded digitally in 86. Hmm. But no. it was probably tra- it was probably an early transfer, and I don't know how many different versions of this were released. But so it, it could have something to do with that. Sometimes those early analog to digital transfers could lose a little bottom end. Um, so that maybe that has something to do with it. But anyway, that is memories. I remember this one too. The yeah. What do you think of memories? Memories. Not those memories. Not those memories. Not the memories from, is it cats that that is from? <laughs> I don't know. Um, um, I'll, I give it a 2.5. Um, yeah, I don't like, I'm not holding the breaking thing against it. I swear <laughs> to God. If it wasn't for that, it would be a 4.5. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it was just, um, it was just like another, like, despite like, you know, there being like, I, I did, you know, when you said, oh, there are real drums in there. Like I could tell that there was like, you know, not, not really dynamics, but I mean, you know, at least there was like a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more of a swing that a real drummer can put in there. But it's like, I think that the, you know, the production was kind of you know, problematic along with just the, the song really not going anywhere, I guess. Like, I mean, like I like a song that maybe goes somewhere different. Like somebody could say, Oh, this song goes places or like, it's got a thing to it and fall, but it's like this, this kind of, this kind of, um, this kind of composition for whatever reason that it doesn't, it doesn't like hook me in, Mm -hmm. um, as, as much. Okay. I mean, there's some, you know, there's good playing in there, but, um, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, like I said, nothing really memorable, I think. I'll give it a three. I, I liked it a lot. <clears throat> I liked, I liked the, uh, it, it did like, it kind of did a whole circuit and then just kind of repeated the whole thing. It wasn't you know, from an arrangement standpoint, not anything, um, really out there, but I like the playing. I liked the little upbeat reggae thing but i i don't i feel differently about reggae than you do um so yeah it, it, i mean mm. I, I like that i mean i again it's not like uh mind-blowing but i really do i it, it I, again it's it's a it's i think he does a really good job of creating a mood with this album and like he talks about you know 107 hours that's not a lot of time to in a, in a recording studio to record an album i mean that's just think about that it's like two and a half weeks worth of work at your job, you know, um, it's really not, not a ton. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure he was, he had time constraints and all that sort of stuff. So again, I know if you heard him play these songs live, it would be like an entirely different, you, you'd I'm have, sure, a, yeah. you'd have a different, um, appreciation for it. And you, know, some songs are just like that uh, from oh, bands. I mean, where yeah, like, I mean, I've definitely heard songs live that have been like the, the album version has been lackluster, but I've loved it. Or it, there's just been like, Oh, I never really liked this song. And then live, it just transforms. It's like you're, and it's, it's sometimes good when that happens. Cause you have like a slight familiarity with the song. Cause you've heard it on an album. You heard it played a bunch of times. And you're like, oh, yeah, I right. know that song. And then you hear it live. And you're like, you have that recognition. Oh, it's that song. Oh my God. And this is so good. Like 
and then you it can almost make you appreciate the album version better too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, uh, hard to hard to capture too much of that with the limited time that he had for for recording this. Um, okay, next track up is uh, this one's for you. It's called Brother John. Hey, me. Five. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just for subject matter alone. So the title gets a five. I remember this one pretty vividly, too. something that could be like a a little interlude on a Black Sabbath album. Mm. But only if it was done on a acoustic. Yeah. Actually, this would have been nice on an acoustic. this would have closed out the first side. much do you like it though five no i'm kidding <laughs> no but the title does the title gets a five because it's got my name in it um your hands no, are tied uh, all, all see yeah i can't tell what do you want me to do i just i couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> do got anything my name else. In it. i'm a simpleton i have to like it, it has to be my favorite <laughs> <laughs> hey, i never said i'm a simple what are you saying about me um no, but in um no, all kidding aside, um I'll give it a three point five. Um I liked it because it was um it had it was it wasn't too long. Um and it was like, you know, really simple. Like I mean, when I was listening to it, it's like it had a good, you know, maybe it's because it was just him and the guitar. It had like a, you know, just really good tone to it. And I was just kind of following what he was doing. Like this one really like grabbed me. Uh, because you know how you know it had this it had like a little rhythm that i could follow and it was really nice you know the way he was like you know picking picking at the strings and like you know i just like you know i could get into it so and uh, a song like that is good too when it's like you know also like on the shorter side like you get you know if he was doing that and then i don't know the drum machine kicked in and he kept going then it might have been you know, I would have called it quits and been like, nope, two or something. But <laughs> um, but no, this this one was uh, I liked it. It was good. I agree. Um, I also give it a three point five. I liked it. Um, it was 
very well composed. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of short and sweet. Uh, it was just him on a guitar. I'm sure there's no cut-ins or anything. It's probably just one complete take. I don't know how many takes he had to do to get it, but knowing Joe Satriani, probably not too many. Um, I, again, I like the composition. I like the dynamics of it and that he's, it sounds like it's hard to tell if he's playing entirely with fingers or partially with fingers, but you, you get this. I feel like um, he was with, he was, he was definitely like playing with finger picking. Yeah. Cause it sounded like a classical guitar piece, the way that he was playing it. And, um, yeah, which is makes it kind of a shame that it wasn't on an acoustic that way. It would have sounded really nice. Yeah. Yeah, but that being said, I, I really like the way it sounded here. I mean, obviously the reverb cranked way up, and uh, mm. but it just had a really cool vibe to it. It set a really cool mo- mood, and I yeah. really like the composition. It's really great. So, okay. Uh, the next song up, this one is called The Enigmatic. So let's uh, take a listen to it. Here we go. The Enigmatic. Drum machine's back. Back with a vengeance. <laughs> it's coming for ya. Let's do working those hi hats. This is a very like unsettling song already. Makes you feel very uneasy. Sounds like Primus. <laughs> <laughs> worth noting that this song is written using the enigmatic scale which is something Mm -hmm. I didn't know existed it's a scale that kind of combines the major and minor scales together Um, and it was originally (laughs) created by this uh, professor of music at um the Bologna Conservatory, Adolfo Crescitini. Hey! Oh, another paisan. <laughs> this, this album should have been called Sunday Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday sauce. Hey! <laughs> Sunday sauce. But, um, so apparently it's on the front like this <laughs> for his grandmother. <laughs> Oh, you were so skinny. But um, this was like the Manja. late 1800s, I guess. So the scale was created kind of as like a, a challenge to challenge musicians to write things within this odd scale. And Satriani probably just kind of learned of it and was like, oh, that, that'd be cool. I'll accept that challenge and wrote this song using that scale. I do my yearly music challenge, so maybe I'll have to do something using the enigmatic scale. Hmm. Where you get that electronic drum set, but then you get these weird little like percussive or like audio, um, you know, actual cymbal hits and things that are being recorded. 
non-electronically. like some heavy plate reverb or something. Oof. Feels like I feel antsy now. (laughs) (laughs) Ants crawling all over me. Um, So yeah, so before we um, get into ratings, um, I think it's worth uh, worth going over this. So the scale, so if you were using this in in C, you know, a regular uh, a regular C scale would be C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. This one is C, D flat, E, F sharp, G sharp, A sharp, B, C. So it sounds a little something. Um, go here, here, here. I'm going to play the scale for you here. So, so you can see where where this kind of scale would make a song that sounds kind of out of tone like that. And again, it was, it was, Mm -hmm. it was invented or whatever by somebody to try to kind of make something a little bit more challenging Um, and uh, challenging to play, challenging to listen to whatever, however you want to view it. So Mm -hmm. that's the enigmatic John, what do you think of the enigmatic? I don't know. I'm trying to. You know what? I'll I'll give it a three because it it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I necessarily loved it, but it was definitely like when you, as you explained, <laughs> you're not going to be humming it out to the show. Like, oh, I can't get this tune out of my head. <laughs> it's a real earworm. <laughs> <laughs> People are like the hell is this guy humming? <laughs> Just walk into a store doing that and be like, "Security, <laughs> we got somebody. We got somebody in aisle nine. Please keep an eye on him." Humming the en- enigmatic scale. <laughs> It'd be even better if they recognized it. They're like this guy's humming the enigmatic by Joe Satriani. Send help. He's clearly unhinged. <laughs> Nobody's ever had that suck in their head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I think that you like uh, breaking it down, like kind of describing it made it more interesting. And so when I heard it, I'm like, OK. And it made me pay attention to it and appreciate it a little bit more. Um, that being said, no, I'm not going to be humming it later or like, you know, <laughs> queuing it up to play in the car, uh, on the way to work or anything like that. But it was definitely an interesting piece. You're going to draw your whole commute to work. is going to be this song on repeat. <laughs> what an unsettling drive that's going to be. You get to work. You're all irritated. John, what's going on? Ah, leave me alone. <laughs> But you have to think it's going to be like dark, raining, <laughs> one headlight out. <laughs> John, could you help us with it? I got my own problems. <laughs> um, I agree. I also give it a three because it's one of those things that. I respect and I appreciate that you're, you're doing this as kind of like a challenge to yourself. Does that make it like something that necessarily want to listen to a million times? No, but in the context of this album, it actually does work pretty well because this album is kind of all over the place with 
just different little ideas and sketches that he had at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, uh, it's been a long time since I listened to it. And I've never listened to it crit- critically the way I've listened to this, but I think he really takes this on Surfer with the Alien to the next level and pr- creates something that's much more memorable. I can see now why you know, there's always these albums that you gravitate more towards uh, over the years and you, you you think back and you're like, oh yeah, I always used to listen to this one more and I wonder why mm-hmm. that is. And then you listen to them and you're like, oh, because this, <laughs> this one's better. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if I were like... If I were really um, geeking out on music, you know, mm-hmm. like if I was like a theory nerd or like, you know, wanted to do stuff like this, then I would be listening to this, this kind of album. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I feel like, I feel like albums like this would appeal more to, you know, people that are really into, you know, I'm guessing that Satriani was, um, and is like, you know, into, um, you know, a lot of theory um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, kind of uncovering a lot of these kind of like, uh, unused ideas such as this, uh, to create something interesting. And I think if you're an emerging musician or just like somebody that's really into that kind of thing, you would be into this because you're like, Oh, I hear what he's doing, you know, like that type yeah. of thing. Whereas it's like, you know, if you listen to, you know, something that's like more straight ahead, you're just like, ah, anybody can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, <laughs> that's more my kind of music. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and I'm, you know, I've, uh, to me, I have to have something that's got like a groove to it or something that I can really get to. Like I can, I can listen to stuff like this and appreciate it, but yeah, it's not gonna, it's not going to be in heavy rotation generally. Although right. I have that being said, I have done in the last few years in, in getting into the, the show and, and really digging deep into stuff. I've listened to a lot of, listened to all the Joe Satriani albums. And the, some of the later stuff is really good. Like I, I do go back to it and listen to it. It's it's really good mm-hmm. stuff. So again, showing that kind of way he matured as a songwriter and producer over the years, because um, obviously he's he was always a great guitar player. Has he gotten better? Probably, but I think, but that wouldn't speak to me the same way like songwriting and production would. Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, we have a little track called Driving at Night. Nice. It does kind of feel like driving at night, like driving fast at night, though. So you like at 10 and 2. I could see now this one. I could. Yeah. <laughs> those those electronic toms. synthesizer in the back. I don't know if it's a pad or just kind of slow moving. You know, it kind of um, it makes me think of a square song, this one. Yeah, you could hear that. I mean, you know, as obviously. But I feel like it has a little bit of an influence in there. Although Roland didn't play drums in the Squares album. <laughs> Roland. Uh, I think Roland needs a uh, an Italian name based on this album. 
Rolando. Rolando Scungili. <laughs> Scungili. <laughs> Hey, Rolando, you come over and make a nice steak pizza all just for you, eh? <laughs> this really does set the tone for, like, driving at night. Like, I could pick this I could picture driving down the highway on. Oh, yeah. Kind of has that like slick, cool, like driving at night type feel to it. I can see where he came up with the title. And when I do my musical challenge every year, it's like 99% instrumental. So I spend 20 minutes writing the song and recording it, and then another 20 minutes trying to think of what to call it. It's <laughs> like the hardest part. I should just like put out all, what I should do is just create all the names for the songs to start. And then I won't have to if I get them all done in one one bulk uh, move, then it'll be easier. <laughs> Am they going with the fade up? I feel like it was, but then it no, no, it doesn't didn't. seem like it. Let's go for a real fast one. Yeah, fast fade out. Hmm. There you go. Driving at night. John, what do you think about that one? So I really um, I really enjoyed that one. It, it definitely had like a um, like a like a film soundtrack quality to it, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't mean like soundtrack like. Uh, like hit song, I mean, like uh, like score, like a, you know, film score. So not the weird like, science creating the girl scene <laughs> again. <laughs> no, no, like you would you would put like, you know, a, like an artist song in there or whatever. This would be like on, you know, the film score, you know, it's like this is this is like the driving at night music, you know, which I, you know, I, I thought was pretty. Pretty spot on. So um I'm trying to think of movies yeah. where they drive at night. The only one I can think of is uh Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he's driving at night <laughs> seeing all those crazy signs. <laughs> they fall off the cliff. Would, I don't know if this would fit in with that. <laughs> um it's too serious. But I'll um I'll give it a three point five for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um like I um I enjoyed this one. This is one that would stick with me a little bit, you know, because it you know, it had a definite groove to it and it, it like it, it pulled me in. All right. I will also give this a 3.5. I had a lot of fun listening to that. And I think it's, uh, yeah, solid, solid. It's fun. It's upbeat. And it, and it definitely sounds like its name. I mean, it sounds like driving at night. Okay. Next uh, track up is <laughs> Hordes of Locusts. Ooh. Title sounds like a metal early Metallica song. Or just Jeff Campanelli is back with the real drums. Mm 
bringing out those like Arabic scales. Yep. Very Speaking of which, biblical plague style playing. <laughs> Doing a lot of <laughs> now, I never really thought about it before, but I wonder if Tom Morello got some early influence from Joe Satriani doing those those because Joe Satriani has always done those kind of weird sound effecty sort of things. Yeah. Whoops. was really reminding me of like Holy Wars the Dave Mustaine solo towards the end like the, I think it's the last solo in the song that he's doing yeah. that like moving chromatically up a half step each time yeah this seems to have that that feel to it you know this has more of a metal feel to it yeah although like a slower more melodic Yeah, that weird, like, pick scrape thing that he's doing. (laughs) That sounds like locust, (laughs) like buzzing around. straight ahead drumming I'm almost wondering if he did some of these songs with an electronic drum kit and then had somebody come in and do the acoustic drums after the fact like oh I got my buddy Jeff's in town for a couple days he can come in and do a couple a few of the songs so we have real drums you know hmm because why wouldn't you have drums for the whole thing it might have been just like limited studio time or maybe Probably. limited availability for his buddy to be playing on it. lot going on here. Mm-hmm. 
kind of like the build up to this point. Thought we're fading out again. Interesting. Well, hmm. before we move on, I have to announce something, and that is I have my last piece of Australian licorice to consume. Um, been eating them over the course of the last few shows, as given to us by by the wonderful Peter Gardeau and Mark Roback, uh, the licorice givers. Last piece. Here we go. Down the hatch, boys. Thank you very much, John. Selflessly gave me the whole bag on account of him hating licorice. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I like red licorice. I don't like black licorice. I see. I, I have a problem with even calling red licorice licorice. It's not licorice. It's like gummy candy. Fine, There's I no like red gummy candy. It. All right, fine. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, I don't care. <laughs> what, whatever that shit is, I like it. <laughs> and whatever you're eating, I do not prefer it. Not like it. Nope. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Bad news. There's none left for you. So, all right. What do you think of hordes of locusts? Oh, they could be a they could be a big problem. A big problem for crops. Not good for crops. Not good for crops, but good for this album. <laughs> three three point five for this one. All right. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, it's uh it's another one that just kind of you know plods along but it's like you know we heard some like you know some cool some cool riffs and some cool guitar stuff in there so um you know when you you made some good observations about it, it's like oh that sounded like you know a megadeth thing or you know it's just it was definitely like had some some metal ideas in there mm-hmm. yeah metal bands love like egypt and the holy land and all like, so like they just love stuff like that so it's very um <laughs> they do metal bands love egypt <laughs> think about it I, <laughs> like funny. oh the mummy's tomb and like pyramids and talking about like like Ankhnaten, <laughs> king minas <laughs> they just love that all stuff right, i think you get a little too geeky now for this they love uh, dropping stuff like that into songs <laughs> No, it's either like, yeah, like, like Egypt or like horror movie themes or the occult or, uh, you know. Do you think it's, do you think they love Egypt for the mummies? Is it the mummies that really do it for them? Or is it just, to me, it's like the imagery of like Anubis and the onk on a stick and like the, you know, just like the pharaohs. They just love that stuff. Like just imagining that world. I mean, who does it? It's it's very fascinating culture to learn about. So it's it's to me, it was always like, it always seemed like. Like they had just discovered it or just learned about it or read about it. And they're like, maybe it's because I was discovering this stuff when I was like in early middle school, not junior high or whatever you'd call it um, at the mm-hmm. time. And I was like learning about it. And then I'd be like, oh, here, here's like a metal band releasing an album about Egypt. And I'm just like, are they going to like the same classes as me? Or like, are they just <clears> learning <throat> about this stuff? Because it's it was never usually too in depth. It was never like really. um well uh thought out it was just usually just like imagery of of pharaohs and stuff like that so right to me it was just like they had just learned about it but they don't do that with other civil other like um 
other topics like the Civil War. They're not just like, oh, we're gonna write this song about, I don't know, the the Battle of was it Antietam or something? The Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't they don't write songs about stuff like that. It's but it's always like these epic songs about the pharaohs and stuff. Probably because it's well, more ancient in the past. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like stuff that like nobody like nobody like now or within the past like fifty or a hundred years have conceivably been alive for you know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, so it's because it's mysterious that element so, of so, mystery, yeah, mythical, and yeah. like you know, in another a faraway land and all that kind of stuff. Like Iron Maiden loved that shit, right? Because they wouldn't write a uh, like a, like an epic song about I don't know, like the uh, you know, like the the Gulf War or something that's <laughs> recent history. <laughs> and they have to do something like you know further back. There's always like there's so much like like enshrouded in mystery, not something that was like documented on on, on live TV. I mean, even like you you feel I feel feel like. Yeah, they, like in the in the 60s, right? They wrote a lot about like the Vietnam War, the 60s, sure. the 70s, But that's like right? a current day protest song. It wasn't like a romanticizing right, right. sort of thing. Right, but it's like, I don't know. Have there, any, have there been any songs about like World War II? Huh. There's got to be some out there. I'm going to write an <laughs> epic metal song about the Exxon Valdez. <laughs> <laughs> when Pulled from the headlines that. of like 30 years ago or whatever. Like the Gulf War, you know, it's just like, hey, let's let let's do a metal song about the tampering with voting machines in the 2020 election. <laughs> what? It's like that's not mythical. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's debatable. Um <laughs> I just try to think of like current day topics or something like that, you know, it's just like well, I, but I that's the thing. I think there's a window, like, well, right? You will do a song that's like a protest about current events. Yeah. But you won't necessarily do something that's like um, about like something that happened 20 years ago. <clears throat> right. I, I, I think that there has to be like a. At least in a, this genre. Like, like we were, yeah, like we were saying, like if you're doing a metal song or a heavier song, then there has to be some kind of like history like a like a deep history or a mystique or something like that like something like i said it doesn't couldn't conceivably or didn't conceivably happen during any of our lifetimes or anybody that could have been alive yeah like babylon now, they love to talk about babylon right there you go babylon like you know there's just all sorts of like biblical you know themes and so but then like the political themes like say like you know we're talking about megadeth you know it was all like that's ripped from the headline stuff but it's more about like like ideologies than it is about like the Exxon Valdez, <laughs> you know, it's not a specific, you Baby know, Jessica, like, <laughs> you know, where's the, where's the metal song about like the death of John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> so, there probably is one actually. And I'm sure it's very, um, tasteless. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to give this one, it's 3.5 as well. I liked it. Um, um, thought it had some really good, good, good parts to it. Really good. Uh, again, a lot, there's a lot of really good gro- like I don't want to say grooves because this album doesn't groove too much because of the electronic drums, but a lot of good uh, themes and like vibes that it kind of gives off from the music, and um, I think that's another good example. Okay, um, next song is called "New Day." I remember this one very vividly too. 
And even even songs with lyrics, I can never remember like what the names of the songs are on albums because I would just listen to the albums. So even more so with instrumentals. I think a lot of what's happening on this album now is like, you know, I'm you know we've been listening to it for like, you know, this this whole time, but I, I feel like you know, you have you you have the drum machine, but you have this clean guitar sound doing like the main not even a riff. It's like the main melody for most of it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what's um I don't, I don't want to say it's like it's off-putting, but I think that's what it's making, like, everything kind of sound, like, kind of all, like, melding together. Yeah. It's like all one thing that's not terribly interesting. Well, it's largely that tone he's using right now, too, that clean sort of chorusy. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever other effects that he has on that tone that really is consistent throughout the album. Mm-hmm. So here we go with the real drums. An unexpected little change there. Picking out those like little triplets. takes an interesting turn for this little bridge section here. Yeah. A little call and response there. fade out here at the end. It kind of has this feeling like it's like it's not done. You know what I mean? Like it feels like it faded out and it was mm-hmm. like there was more to come. Like it didn't quite get to everything they needed to get to. But anyway, that is New Day. What do you think about that one? Um, I'll give this one um, uh, 2.5. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it had a had a bit of an upbeat feeling to it. Like, hey, it's a new day. Like, I get it. 
but <laughs> I get it. All right, but, enough. Uh, settle down. I get. <laughs> yeah, settle down. <laughs> Easy. Easy there, fella. But um, yeah, other than that, it wasn't really, there really wasn't that much more there for me. Yeah, I'll give it a 2.52. I was almost toying with giving it a 2, but <clears throat> I don't think there's anything like objectionable about the song that would warrant mm. me giving it a 2. Uh, right. That's, you know, 2 is varying into negative territory. And to me, so far, the the lowest parts of this album to me have just been, you know, average. Nothing, uh, uh, yeah. nothing, nothing bad about this album in any way. It's, it's, it's a very cool, and again, taking into account how it was made and the history of it and everything. So, okay, that leads us to the final track on the album. And that is a track that sounds like it could belong on just about any metal album. It's called The Headless Horseman. Summoning his seed, I suppose. How is he whistling if he's headless? <laughs> I remember this one. This is weird. <laughs> Yeah. Got this kind of like galloping sound to it. <laughs> the whistling for the horse is too much, though. <laughs> and I know we said uh, in the beginning it was, I think it's John Kuna Birdie, the uh, producer that was doing the whistling. Yeah. But yeah, because we said we we're going to listen for it. I thought he was going to be blowing a whistle, but. It'd be funny. Instead of that, he blows a gym whistle. (laughs) (laughs) This song is played entirely using two-handed tapping. So he's tapping with both hands, which isn't hard to believe because that's kind of what it sounds like. Hmm. gunshots all about (laughs) somebody's chasing the headless horseman with a musket maybe for that part (laughs) you gotta admire like they had fun with that one that was not um yeah definitely not taking himself too seriously uh but at the same time very technically uh you know i i think it's a good testament to his playing that that's like a very technically complex thing that he's doing Mm -hmm. but yet at the same time it doesn't it sounds you just kind of listen to it and you're like okay this is just some some sounds, some music. But when you think about what you'd need to do on a guitar to make that sound, you're like, oh, oh crap, that's pretty, pretty tough to do. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it was, uh, it was definitely like fun. You know, I could see where that came from. Yeah. But at the same time, like you said, not, not like somebody's just noodling around. Like you got to have some skills to yeah, do that for a couple of minutes. All right. What do you rank the headless horseman? So while while cheeky and fun, <laughs> I give that one a two point five. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, 
yeah, I don't know what else, <laughs> what else to say about it. Um, you know, it was a, I don't know if it was like a novelty piece, you know? Sure. It's like, okay, I get it. You made your guitar sound like a horse, you know? <laughs> well, or galloping. I mean, or, I guess, yeah, I guess the galloping part of it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, years later, uh, Steve Vai did a song called Bad Horsey where right. he made the guitar yeah. like <laughs> neigh like a horse. Yeah, yeah. Which was which was pretty cool. I know that he wasn't trying to do this. He's like here, but. balls in your court, Satch. <laughs> I just upped the ante. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah. So it's um, yeah. I think it's like a little novelty piece. So it's okay. All right, I'll give it a three. I liked it. I thought it was you know technically interesting. And again, much like the way they closed out the first half of the album with um, Brother John, it was something. A little snippet he had, an idea that he had that he didn't stretch out to be something way, way more than it should have been. It was short to the point, two minutes in and out. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. All right. So that is Joe Satriani's Not of This Earth. Um, while John busts out the spreadsheet... I will do something, which is one of the most important things we have to do in every episode. And that is, of course, to thank our foundation level patrons. Coming in at the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Raf Calf, Spike the Rock Cat, and Spike's Mom. At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fjeldboo. Runar Siemensen. And JJ Stenard. Coming in at the $1 made up name tier, there is the Not of This Grave Leaky Mausoleum. Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, Blackmore Tights. And John Maselli. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something about contracts. They were made to be broken, and so's your face. <laughs> oh, sassy. Woo. Oh, Tony Maselli getting sassy in that one. Don't Ooh, cross the man. He's, he's threatening people. Hmm. <laughs> He's gonna break your face. <laughs> what do they steal? What do they steal? His new mop in that episode or something? <laughs> I love to clean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it is that time uh, for John to bust out the spreadsheet. All right, John, that has given you some time to sort those tabs out. Where are we dealing with um, with our uh, Not of This Earth? Where does it come in? So it, it uh, came in at a uh, 5.95 rating, pretty low. Um, it's down there with a bunch of Nick Simber garbage. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's it's just it's a bottom feeder. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to give this one a pass because, um, you know, while not Satriani's most uh, 
you know, <clears throat> cohesive effort, we should say, you know, he was just starting out. I think it was, um, you know, what he said it was, if I can remember right in the, the notes, it was a collection of songs. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that just that's what it came off as, you know, he was, you know, still, you know, honing his craft, you know, whatnot. Um, our variance wasn't uh, that much. You liked, um, you know, your rating was slightly higher than mine. But um, but yeah, overall, it came in um, came in between uh, the concerto and slipstreaming. And it's worth noting that the concerto is something that is hard to rate. There's only three acts and we gave each act a three um, because they're like in the concerto. I think there's moments that are a two and a half and there's moments that are a five, but it's hard when you're looking at a 15 minute long piece of music that goes all over the place to just give it one solid rating. So that one I almost feel like is beyond rating. It shouldn't even be on here, but because I love the concerto, I love listening to it, but it, it, shows up low just because it, it was so hard to rate. Um, I mean, if we're rating it on a scale of like, uh, you know, like music that you can <laughs> you hum along to, you know, it's not like you're in the car going. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I can't do that. But, I, I, th- um, I think, too, it's, it's also interesting to look at the, the, the stuff that's down in this category is. um we've got like a lot of first albums and first albums by bands are usually tricky because you've got the, you know, the first Warhouse album, you got the first deep purple album down there. You've got the first nip sinkers, Nick Simper's Fandango nip sinker. Um, you've got, you've got all of this, all of these different, uh, albums that are usually mostly early on. You've got captain, uh, beyond sufficiently breathless in that, in that area, even though that's a second album, that was kind of an anomaly that their first album was so friggin' amazing. That was a hard Mm. one to follow up. So you've got, immature bands down there who haven't fully realized, you know, while Trapeze's uh, first album is down there, their ne- their second album is probably super high up on our list because, oh, yeah. um, you know, they just absolutely killed it in the, on the next album. So For it's, sure. um, you know, it's, it's no mistake that stuff ends up like that. Um, but yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun listening to it and I think uh, mm-hmm. um, I don't have a lot of stuff from it or any reviews or anything, but um, it was, again, something I've, I'd heard a bunch of times when I first got it. And it actually makes me really excited to, you know, down the road, do the Surfing with the Alien album and, and be able to compare those two based on our how we do our ratings and see how that one stacks up because th- that one is again, one that I remember more fondly, but you never know. Maybe we'll listen to it and rate it lower. But, um, to me, he, I don't think so. He seemed to have matured a bit more on, on that one. So, yeah. So cool. Well, that's, uh, that's it folks. That's, um, Joe Satriani's not of this earth. Um, he'll do, you know, a few albums after this. I only think I had his first maybe three albums when they first came out and then kind of moved on to other stuff. But yeah, um, me too. Over the years, I've definitely picked up and listened to a bunch of other stuff that I really liked. And uh, yeah, um, when we next talk about our buddy Joe, it'll probably be uh, him playing with Deep Purple and uh, the six month or so stint that he was in the band. So it should be, um, it should be pretty interesting when we get to that point. And I'm glad we got a chance to with 
two kind of Joe Satriani episodes leading to this point to show what he was up to at the at the time. So, all right. Well, yes. With that, John, I will bid you adieu, and we will uh, catch up next week to see what other, what other gems we can dig up and what what we're going to discuss uh, for our next episode. I'm sure there will be more. There certainly will be. All right. Have a great night, my friend. You too. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. You come to us, we don't come to you. Buy our damn cookies. Yeah, I don't chase, I attract. You know.